0: Alright, well, let's dig in here. We're in the book of Nehemiah again this week. And if you remember, uh, last week I talked about some of the greatest of all time, and Nehemiah was, was one of the greatest of all time, there's no question in the Old Testament. But, but last week I talked about Shohei Ohtani, and I said, man, you guys got to watch the Home Run Derby, right? Did anybody watch the Home Run Derby by chance? A few of you? Okay, so yeah, he, Shohei Ohtani did, uh, he choked, Right? He he got eliminated in the first round. And the winner was Pete Alonzo. Now, this is interesting. This guy gets paid the league basically just above the league minimum. Okay. So he's kind of an average player defensively, batting average, on base percentage. There's nothing that would just be like, wow, about this guy. But he absolutely dominated during this home run derby. I think he took more money home from the winnings from the home run derby than he has in the last two years. Of professional baseball I mean that is amazing and I love this picture because you'll notice he's with the guy who was pitching to him and if you watched the home run derby then you know this to be true they actually showed a pitching chart of this guy's pitches and they he was dialed in man I mean I think Pete Alonso could have hit home runs with his eyes closed that's how accurate this picture was you look at uh, Shohei and he hadn't hit off of that guy since March and he had his interpreter catching for him. So it was just all discombobulated. He couldn't get a good pitch. And this year it was time. So it was like, how many home runs can you hit in two minutes? And Pete just dominated. All right. And what I love about this is that it illustrates that if you want to do something great, you, you're going to need a little bit of help. Like that trophy, honestly, is 50-50 between Pete and his, and his pitcher there. And Nehemiah accomplished something great, but he couldn't do it alone. Okay? He was an average guy like you and me. He was cupbearer to the king of Persia at the time. He was a Jewish slave. His brother comes and visits. And look what it says, Nehemiah 1.4. As soon as I heard, now, now Nehemiah, Nehemiah's like, hey, how's things back home? Okay? Now he's 100 years in exile, so he's never even been there. So he's probably born in Babylon. But his brother comes to visit. He's like, how are things back home? And his brother just tells him the truth. It's like, man, it is rubble. And the remnant... Of our people that are there, they're hungry, enemies come in whenever they want, and they pillage, and they go back, and, and these they're just, everybody's hurting, and in that moment, look what it says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and then later on, he prays this, God, give, a, give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of Of the king. When your heart breaks, what do you do with that? What should our response be? We looked at how Nehemiah responded. He fasted and prayed. He confessed his sin and he recalled the character and promises of God. We challenged each other to kind of sit with this question this past week. What makes you pound the table and weep? And I suggested that there there may be a correlation between the answer to that question and your kingdom purpose. There certainly was for Nehemiah. I mean, he feels like God is calling him to do something, restoring his home and his people, the nation of Israel. And he prays and he fasts about this calling and God confirms it. And he goes before his boss, the king, and he asks if he can go to his home to rebuild The wall. So, in the face of enemy opposition, with an unskilled, discouraged labor pool, he rebuilds a wall out of stone, 16 foot tall. Some scholars that I read this past week said it could have been 40 feet tall, three feet deep. Some scholars say it could be as thick as eight feet deep in some area, four and a half miles around, and he does it in 52 days. Like no miracles no fire from heaven destroying the enemies, no miraculous like wake up and the angels have like built half the wall for him. He's not a religious leader. He's a normal guy like you and me and Pete Alonzo. It's an amazing story and it's it's filled with lots of applications. So we're going to dig back in today to Nehemiah. We spent all of last week on chapter one. Now remember, the chapters and verses in our Bibles were put there hundreds of years later by scholars so that it was easier to reference. So this is just, this is just all one account, okay? Um, you can follow along in your Bible if you want, um, but today it's really fine just to sit back. And I'm, I've tried to put all of these on the slides, so we're going to test our, our tech team up there. If you guys get lost, it's okay. We'll just do our best. Um, or you can follow along in your Pew Bible, page 511, if you want to. But seriously, today's a day. Just sit back and, and kind of take this all in. Are you guys ready? All right, here we go. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, now remember, he's a, he's a cupbearer. If you weren't here last week, Nehemiah's job, he's a slave, but his job is to be in proximity to the king. Anytime he wants a drink of wine, Nehemiah's got to drink it first. So if Nehemiah dies because it was poisoned, the king's not going to drink that wine. It was like a dangerous job. So when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, I think mean, this was like one of those quick prayers, right? He's not going back to his room and praying. This is like a Jesus-take-the-wheel prayer. The king is asking him. He answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. This is, this is such a courageous moment for Nehemiah. Don't miss the fact that the king can do more than just say no. Like, he could have viewed this request as a treasonous threat to rebuild an enemy fortress. Nehemiah risks so much in this moment, and we know that he's prayed and he's fasted for like 90 days or so, and now in this moment, it's a quick prayer, Jesus take the wheel. Of course, Jesus hadn't been born yet, but it was like, God, I need your help right now. And, the, and he makes the request. Now, before I tell you how the king responds, let me just make a quick observation, real quick. What if, what if the difference between who you are right now and who God has called you to be, what if the only difference between who you are right now and the man or woman that God has intended you to be, your kingdom purpose, what if the only difference is courage? Anytime I use one of these boards, I have to put this up here. The SDK rule applies. Spelling don't count, okay? (laughs) But what if the difference between who you are right now and who God has called you to be, your purpose, what makes you pound the table and weep? What What if... What if the only missing ingredient is just a little bit of courage? Those that are here today who were here eight months ago, you know what I'm talking about. Leaving your denomination took a lot of courage. And I'm not suggesting that the grove has arrived. There's still a lot God wants to do, but just... Just recognizing that following God in this season meant unfollowing your denomination. That's risky (laughs) and expensive if you read the Christianity Today article, which you guys did a great job. If you haven't seen that, you can go on there, and it talks about the Methodist church leaving Uh, some Methodist churches leaving the Methodist denomination, and we had Carla and Steve, and they did a great job. You're actually mentioned in, in a Christianity Today article. But it was risky. And what happens if Nehemiah doesn't have the courage to make this one bold ask? Then what follows may never have happened, okay? But it did. Here's what happens. The king grants his request to leave. Not only that, but the king gives him letters that protect him as he travels through enemy territory. Uh, the cherry on top is the king gives him more letters that gives him access to the resources of the king, like the forests of the area. He can go in, he can, he can harvest trees and, and make gates and beams. I mean, this is this is such a big deal. Like, I can't even like, compare this in today's terms. I tried. I was like, this would be like the president of the United States telling one of his chefs in the kitchen, like, you're now mayor of Baltimore. So now, like, go and repair Baltimore. And, and you, um, you can just put it on my tab, whatever you want. But, but even that isn't a great example. A better example might be like if the chef was Russian, and instead of Baltimore, it was Moscow. And he said, you know, go rally your people and strengthen your defenses. Here's the keys to the, to the Philadelphia Mint. Like, that might cause a little scandal, right? I mean, this is risky. This, this took courage. So Nehemiah goes to Judah, okay? He gets permission. He gets the letters, and he surveys the walls. It takes him three days to, like, actually assess the damage of the walls and kind of put together a game plan. And in that moment, in those three days, God breaks his heart even more. And it's his Popeye moment. It's it's his, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more moment. Drop down to verse 17. Then I said to them, so he's talking to the remnant that's there right now. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, Let's go. Let's start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Now, this is Leadership 101, and you guys know this already, but any leader that wants to take a group of people, or even individually, as you lead yourself, you want to take a group of people from point A To point B right it's not enough to just say hey this is this is great let's go here what do you have to do you have to talk about how this you we can't stay here anymore like the the, wall it's ruined we are a ruined people this is not okay we've got to move this is where we're going and that's exactly what he does this is leadership 101 then I said to them you see the trouble we're in man Jerusalem lies in ruins its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be a disgrace. Awesome stuff. But watch what happens next. And I'm telling you, if, if you do anything worthwhile, especially kingdom work, okay, you can count on this happening to you, okay? Verse 19. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this thing you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So, uh-oh. Questions are, are starting to, to rum- the rumors kind of begin. And uh, I'm just telling you, whenever you start a good work, you're going to get the attention of those who oppose you, who are opposed to that work, or just those who are jealous. Those who are addicted to schadenfreude. They just love to see other people fail. You're going to get their attention. And we're going to talk about more of that in, in just a minute. But check this out. I, I found this really interesting. A lot of times I would just skip over this. But just here's a, just a quick observation. Uziel, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, if you read chapters 2 and 3, you're going to notice... It goes into quite a bit of detail of who was where and what part of the wall that they fixed. And, and here's the amazing thing: people were willing to work outside of their strengths for a season. Okay, you got a perfumer, a goldsmith, a merchant. Like they're all building sections of this wall. They're building new gates. They're they're like forging hinges and latches. And what's missing? Architects, carpenters stonemasons, like we're talking a wall at least three feet deep, 16 feet tall, four and a half miles around. It's crazy. But Nehemiah isn't doing this alone, okay? They're making progress. And on any journey or mission, you guys know this, okay? This isn't new information. On any mission or journey, um, casting vision is really easy here, and it's really easy here, right? Right? Like, this, this, there's a lot of motivation right here. Like, all right, let's go. And there's a lot of motivation right here. If, you, if Anybody built a, built a house before? You guys might know what I'm talking about. If you remodel the house, yeah, this is, this is easy motivation. And when you start seeing, you know, I still have a few punch lists for our kitchen remodel, so I haven't hit the finish line yet. But it gets exciting when you start seeing certain pieces of that to go, to, go together. Motivation is easy on the front end of a mission and towards the end. That's like losing weight. You're trying to lose 20 pounds, man. You can lose five pounds in a week, right? And then if you only have two pounds left to, to hit your goal, like those are the easy those are the easy times. If you ran a marathon, start out strong. Has anybody ever ran a marathon? Joe, have you ran a marathon? No, that surprises me. Okay, well, and I haven't either. If you ever see me running, you need to run too, because there's something big chasing. <laughs> like, don't even ask questions. You just turn and run. We'll get to safety together. Oh, man. Now watch what happens in Nehemiah 4, verse 2. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. I mean, these guys were like warlords, man. They were coming in. They were making deals with some of the the people in, in Jerusalem. And like we're talking exorbitant interest rates. and I mean, they would pillage whenever they wanted. These were bad dudes. Now, now when Sanballat heard that we were building a wall, he was angry, greatly enraged. Like, his his future is in jeopardy now. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? So, so the workers that are working, they're hearing this. Like, he's saying it loud enough that they can hear it. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah's like, yeah, what they're building, if a fox jumps up on it, It'll fall down. And I imagine, it's not in scripture, but I imagine even Ballot was like, shut up, Toby. Like, What are you talking about? Fox jumps up on it. So people start getting discouraged. Okay, Listen, when you start out to do a great work, you can expect opposition. I'll never forget, I was working for a different church, and and our mission was just to reach lost people. And and we put up a billboard. I thought it was a great idea. It was advertising a specific series that we were going to be in that was very focused on unchurched people, far from God. And so we put up some billboards. And I remember just going about my day, and I get a call, um, and it's a pastor. And it's, it's a pastor who has a church not far from where one of our billboards. And so it's the first time I ever talked to him, like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, nice to, nice to meet you. Thanks for calling. What's up? And he ripped me. like He's like, what, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? And I, I told him, like, I'm just trying to tell people, that uh, Jesus loves them, and I think this is like a good way to do it. There's a lot of traffic on that road. And when I say in proximity, it's not like there's a church right underneath the sign. I'm talking miles, okay? But it, he might have been the closest church to this sign. Um, but man, I'm telling you, I started getting discouraged. I'm like, wait a minute. You should be like happy for me. We should be working together. And I'll tell you, by the end of the conversation, I had him convinced why he, should rent a billboard. Like he's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But in that moment, it was so tempting to get like worked up and be discouraged and like, oh man, if I'm gonna just offend people who have the same mission, I, I better, not even, better not even do that. I was having lunch with a, a good friend of mine this week and um, he's getting ready to move. He's starting a nonprofit. And man, you talk about a clear calling and a clear vision. Like there's been no hurdle. And then all of a sudden, a conversation with an out-of-state lawyer, a conversation with somebody who's trying to find land. And man, I'm telling you what, I was sitting across from this guy, and I thought like he, he was ready to give up. And I'm like, man, your calling is clear. This is, you should expect opposition. And we've heard this before. Like, motivation's easy here. But what happens in here, we get, we get a little bit discouraged. And, um, you know, so-and-so isn't pulling their weight. Oh, man, we've never done it like that before, right? And uh, ooh, the enemy, they're, they're stronger. They, they're smarter than we are. And in here, man, this is the desert. Like, this, just, this, this was true for the Israelites when they left Egypt. Like, excitement, hand of God, pillar of fire, parting the Red Sea, and then 40 years of just, what are we doing? Where are we going? Right? This, this happens to all of us, individually, organizations, companies. If you have employees, it's easy to get discouraged. Now, here is what a champion does in a moment like this. He inspires them. He reminds them of the big picture, the mission. Watch what he says, and I can't prove this, but I think he put on a kilt and like painted half of his face blue, and he said something like this, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Man, you talk about big picture. There was no personal glory in this mission. He has no idea we would be talking about him 2,500 years later. The only thing that he could do was rally his people around the mission and I'm gonna bet you you know if this was if this was day one of building and this was 52 day 52 that it was done you know I'm gonna guess like at day 26 this speech probably happened right there like they were just in the middle of of discouragement I love that if they needed any reminder of why they were doing this man just just look over to your sons and your daughters this work would impact generation after generation after generation. He was casting that big vision. Then look what Scripture says. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. I want, you to just, I want you to picture this. If you need to close your eyes, I want you to picture this like, like, these people were, were working hard. They were, like, ready for war if they were to be attacked. Leaders stood behind them, the whole house of Judah, who were building the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. And this is, a, this is an awesome picture. You know, we talk about. Uh, the pace of Jesus, we talk about being an apprentice of Jesus, and Jesus' yoke is easy, and his burden is light, and that is all true. But there are seasons where the wall just needs built. And that's what this, this is what's going on right here. Muscles flexed. Like, I'm just picturing like sword in one hand and cinder block in the other. And, then, and these weren't light, like Zorro swords. Like, these were like gladiator-type swords. Like Muscles flexed. Dawn to dusk. 52 days, straight, huge rocks, building materials in one hand, their sword in the other. But remember, we said this, whenever you set out to do a great work, expect opposition. Watch what happens next. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time, I had not set the doors in the gates. So there's, the gates are still open. The wall's rebuilt. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. And I love, I love this next part. If you get nothing else from today, write this down. This, this, is, this is our doggy bag for the week. Watch what he says. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent him a letter. Like, just, you can, you can picture this. Like, hey, hey, you're a leader. I'm a leader. Can we just talk about this? Like, let's, can we, let's have a meeting. Can we do lunch? But you know, four times, like just come down. They, they wanted to kill him. If he would have left that wall, if he would have walked out and met with those enemies, they would have they would have stopped the work. They would have killed him, and he knew that. Samballat and Tobiah intended to kill Nehemiah. And I just wonder, like, do you have a, a Samballat and a and a Tobiah in your life right now that? that wants to kill a dream. God's put a dream in your heart. You don't know how you'd ever accomplish it. You know it'll be risky. It'll take courage and discipline. But your Sandballot and Tobiah, they have, they have paralyzed you. Some of us need to write this down. We need to make this our personal or our family motto for like the next 52 Sundays. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. When you're tempted to break away from your budget financially, no, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Maybe it's an addiction you've been struggling with. Let me just tell you, it wants to take your life. It wants to take your life or your productivity. No, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Maybe it's your cell phone. Mm. Preaching to myself right now. Maybe it's a toxic relationship, right? Constantly wants to drag you into the middle of other people's messes. Maybe it's raising your kids and, and you feel like you're not getting enough done. You're raising babies right now and somebody's telling you that you, you need to do more. No, I am doing the great work and I cannot come down. And what's that one thing for you? What's that one thing that wants to take your life? If you were to spend the next 52 Sundays and focus on that one thing, 52 Sundays where you committed to a gathering of believers, and it it doesn't have to be the Grove. It, it It doesn't have to be in a building like this. You're the church, right? It can be in your living room with other believers if you want. And what could you accomplish with the help of others if you focused and said to that distraction or that addiction or that insecurity, you fill in the blank, I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. When God gives you a calling, when he gives you a dream, you better believe you're going to experience some opposition. Sometimes it comes from the very people who sit at the dinner table with you. And you're going to have to learn how to discern the difference between wise counsel, which the Bible encourages, and a, you know, like a direct opposition to what God has called you to. You're going to have to develop some rhino skin. You're going to have to keep moving forward. You're going to have to remind yourself out loud sometimes, I'm sorry, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. I love what happens next. The wall gets finished in 52 days. And I think may this next part be said of us. I love this. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. It's not about one person. It's not about you. It's not about me. To the glory of God and for the good of others. Even the next generation and the next. Those of us who've chosen to be an apprentice of Jesus, why does this matter? And as the worship team gets back into place uh, for one more song, just allow me to draw one final correlation as it relates to the Grove Community Church. And if you're visiting today, this isn't for you, okay? Um, I hope the Holy Spirit has given you a nugget that, that you can apply. But for those who call the Grove home, I believe we're just getting started on this journey, right? And eight months ago, we knew we couldn't stay here. And so we took this, this courageous little step right here. and motivation is still strong like like we're still like right here right like parking lot's full like this is kind of fun it's kind of exciting i want to say too to to from my family on behalf of my family those of you who were here that took that courageous step let me just say thank you like that that was hard man i look back on that it was just kind of hit me this week i'm like man it took some guts and so Thank you for doing that. But I think we're right here in this journey, right here. Parking lot's full, but what happens in six months? What happens in 18 months? What happens in a couple of years? We find ourselves in the middle there. Will we be willing to stay faithful to the process of rebuilding? Will we be willing to turn this place upside down if we need to in order to reach our children and our neighbors and their children? I remember hearing uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel saying that he would do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. Are, Are we willing to do that? It's not about the color of the carpet. It's not about the cross on the wall. It's not the style of music and order of worship. It's not even about this building. There will be seasons where we will grow tired, swords in cinder blocks, muscles flexed. And I hope in this moment we'll be able to look around and be able to say to each other, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. So the wall was completed in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Let's stand together. We're going to close in a song that I hope becomes kind of a prayer for us, a doxology of sorts for us today. Let me just pray and then we'll sing. God, give us courage. We want to be a part of what you're doing in, in rural America. If, if your Holy Spirit is, is roaming the earth looking for a place to start a revival, we ask you to consider this little gathering here in Altona, Illinois. But regardless, we pray that when people drive by here, they can't help but give you credit. Bless us. May your favor be upon us and our children. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.